Well, like I said, we're going to go ahead and continue on in the book of Acts. We're going to be starting chapter 4 today. We're going to make it through verse 22. And if you remember last week, we had, uh, or a couple weeks ago, when Pastor Joseph was ministering, we had a pretty amazing miracle, right? We have this man who's been lame since birth, 40 years, and he gets healed by faith in the name of Jesus. And then the crowds, they all gather around. They want to know what's going on. They want to know what's happening. And uh, you remember that when that happens, Peter begins to preach to them. And he tells them that it wasn't him or John that healed this man, but it was Jesus and faith in him whom they killed and then God vindicated who healed this man. And then he implored them to repent and put their trust in Jesus. But wherever the gospel is preached, no matter where, as soon as that begins to happen, as soon as the name of Jesus is lifted up, as soon as people are being pointed to the only one who is the, the, the truth, the way, and the life, you're going to see the enemy rise up and opposition come against them. And we see this today too, right? So uh, how often have you seen people being preached to about Jesus and then other people getting offended. Has anybody ever seen that? People getting upset, you can't say the name of Jesus, you can't, really most people are even okay if you say God, but as soon as you say Jesus, people get upset. People get offended. And you wouldn't believe some of the responses that we get on our social media accounts now that we've been putting up more regular videos. I just recently put up a video on Friday it's one of our little sermon snippets. It's just a reel. It's a minute long. And uh, it was from the, the 17th of December. It was just a, a part of what I was preaching. And, and the title of it was, Be Ready, We're in the Last Days. And if you remember, I had a, a brief moment where I talked about that, that uh, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years because of the, what, what Peter was speaking about, the prophet Joel. And it showed that what was happening then was the last days. So the last days started then, and we're in them right now. Nothing, nothing really crazy. Just say, hey, we're, I believe we're in the last days, and, and as Christians, we need to be ready. And I got some fun responses. If you remember in there, one of the things I said was, was even Paul had to warn the Thessalonian church that it had the end of the, the day of the Lord hadn't come yet. And one of the response was, who the expletive is Paul? Somebody else wrote, maybe apparently because I said that we've been in the last days since Jesus died, they write, convenient. Somebody else wrote, it's always the last days with you people. And my personal favorite I never knew you. Be gone from me, you doers of wickedness. He said that to you. <laughs> and this is just minor opposition. This isn't even a big deal. This is just, you know, people on the internet being brave because they're anonymous. Hmm. The truth is, is that we're dealing with great opposition in this country to Christianity. It's mounting. It's starting to get worse and worse. We're seeing it more and more. The truth is, as Christians, we're criticized, we're chastised, we're misrepresented, we're lied about by a people with all we want is for them to be saved, to enjoy the same eternal security that we have. They get offended by it and upset. And it's interesting because every other religion in this country is protected in the social space. You can't say anything about Muslims or Hindus or Jewish, any other, any other religion. If you say anything, 
then 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 people get all offended. How how dare you say something? But Christians, apparently we're fair game. You can say whatever you want. This isn't anything new. This opposition to, to Jesus is nothing new. And as we're going to see today, it's really been happening since the beginning. Amen? So let's get started. Acts 4, verses 1 through 2 says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they came upon them, and they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So right, we talked about last week, the crowd has gathered around Peter and John. They want to know what's happening. And uh, this crowd now has, has gained the attention of the religious leaders. We've got the temple guards showing up, the religious leaders. We've got the Sadducees showing up. And it seems that uh, primarily the leaders in this temple were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, if you don't know about them, there were a small and powerful Jewish sect that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that's a fun joke we like to say. They didn't believe in the res- resurrection from the dead, so they were sad, you see. They, they didn't believe in spirits. Or I'm a dad. Don't give me that look. I can make dad jokes if I want to. I saw that look, Sam. <laughs> they wanted to, to maintain the status quo. They didn't believe in spirits or angels. They were typically associated with the wealthy class. They followed only the Pentateuch. They didn't believe in any other of the other scripture. Um, they stressed that the Jewish people should cooperate with the Roman Empire, the Roman authority. And finally, they didn't actually believe in the coming of a Messiah. They believed that the scriptures described an ideal, not an actual person that would be coming. The captain of the guard, he shows up. He's also a very powerful person as well. In the temple, the only other person more powerful than the temple guard is the high priest. And you'll remember that it was the temple guard, I'm sorry, the captain of guard was the the very powerful person. And he was part of the temple guard. And you'll remember that it was a temple guard who had arrested Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. So it's no surprise to see the captain of the guard show up. It's no surprise to see the religious leaders and the powerful Sadducees show up um, to disband this large crowd that has gathered around Peter and John. Except for now, they're a little bit upset. They're a little bit of an, a little bit annoyed, is what it says here. Actually, this is they're greatly annoyed. So imagine being them, right? I just told you all the stuff that they don't believe in, and. Uh, uh, they're hearing Peter preach about the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in any of that stuff, and now they got some guy coming into their temple preaching something that they don't believe. And then he's preaching about prophecies, right? He was talking about Joel that they don't even that they don't even recognize because they only they only recognize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So as far as the Sadducees are concerned, Peter and John are coming in and they are threatening their fundamental beliefs and their authority. So they're a little perturbed. You see, when the religious leaders killed Jesus, they thought this little uprising was over. Turns out they had a whole other thing coming. It's just getting started, amen. In Acts 4, 3 through 4, it says, And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So, because they're so annoyed at what these guys are teaching, 
in the temple, they go ahead and arrest him. You see, even though the the Jewish people at this time, they're under Roman rule and authority. But inside the temple, the the high priest and the temple guard, the captain of the guard, they still had pretty much full authority on what happened on temple grounds. Uh, Really almost unlimited authority for what's going on there. The Romans kind of let them do their own thing in there for the most part. The Romans just got to pick and choose who was in charge. Yeah, if you didn't know that, uh, once the Roman government came in, they, they uh, disbanded uh, whoever the high priest was, and they picked their own high priest and, and put them in those temples. But yeah, so like, so like so many groups that we see today, so many governments that we see today, so many people in power that we see today, when they want to shut somebody up, they just imprison them. The truth is, church, you have no idea how blessed we are to have free speech in this country. It's something you should fight for with everything that you have so that we have the right to speak about anything, but specifically for Christians, we have the right to preach the gospel, to share the kingdom of heaven without fear of imprisonment. And the truth is, is that um, this, this freedom is being challenged every single day. And you say, well, it can't be that bad, Pastor Wayne. It's not that big of a deal. But you look at what's happening in Canada, which is supposed to be considered a free speech country. If you speak out against homosexuality, people are getting imprisoned for hate speech. What would happen the day that, that I couldn't preach the Bible up here? Because if I said that, the, the, you know, in the book of Romans, it clearly says that homosexuality is a sin, we shouldn't do it. Now that's hate speech, and I were to get arrested. That's happening in other countries that are supposed to be Western free speech countries, let alone if you live in a, live in a dictatorship and you can't, you can't do anything. You can't say anything for fear of imprisonment. You say anything against the government, at best you're imprisoned. At worst, they're going to kill you. So we have such an incredible privilege here. And, and the truth is, church, um, we need to make sure that, that our, our votes represent the things that we're trying to keep in place as well. Amen. But here, they didn't have that luxury. So what happens? They say something that the chief priests, the high priests, and the, the captain, the guard, all these people, the, the leaders didn't like. So they get arrested. Now, thank God this is still a, a, a group of people that, that uh, serve God, so they do at least have some sense of justice. They didn't just murder them right out. So they, they put them in, in prison. So it says that uh, they came, they, they, they get ready to... Did my... Uh, didn't click forward. How come nobody told me? <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, that's not what mine says. Hallelujah. So they, they threw them in custody until the next day. Um, the reason they did that is because it was so late in the day, right? They came to prayer in the, uh, was it the, the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. They've been preaching for a while. This stuff's been going on for a while. Now it's late, and they don't have time to gather all the, the officials necessary to have an official uh, investigation or official inquiry to what's going on. So they decide to just toss them in jail for the night. But the good news is, is even though they, didn't, they arrested them, it didn't stop the message. Amen? I mean, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. 
The truth is, is that even if we do end up in a situation in this country where we can't speak without fear of persecution or fear of imprisonment, if you still do so and you get arrested, that's not going to stop the message. Amen. You see, what happens is when a miracle takes place, like the one that just happened, people notice. And it has a huge impact. People begin to talk and take interest. And it's not the miracle that saves people. How many of you know that? Miracles are awesome, but a miracle is not going to save anybody. It's hearing and responding to the word of God that leads to salvation. Amen. And what happened? This miracle happened. The people run around him and they say, hey, what happened? What's going on? And Peter got to preach, encouraging them to repent, to put their faith in Jesus. So these people, they take an interest. They hear the gospel preached. And as we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So they hear the word of God preached. Their faith is increased. They put their trust in Jesus Christ. And then they get to see people get saved. Right? Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000 people believed. They got arrested, and 5,000 people got saved anyway. They got arrested. The, the chief priest and Timothy, we're going to stop this right now. And instead, the church grew by 5,000 people, even though they got arrested. I mean, that's amazing. You see, if we have the opportunity to preach the gospel, we're going to see the church grow. And in this case, the leaders tried to shut it down, tried to squash what was going on. 5,000 men got saved. How many know that when the Bible starts doing numbers like this, you can usually think, you can usually triple to quadruple the number at least because they, they don't count the women and children. So these men got saved, and that means that, that any of the, there was plenty of women there that got saved as well, and their households are going to get saved because the children looked up to their parents for direction. So when the, the parents believed, the children believed. You know, one of the, the, the dumbest things that I hear parents say is, I'm going to let my children make their own choice about their faith. Listen, if you're not going to preach to your kids, the world's going to preach to your kids. So you don't let them make the decision. You make them come to church. You teach them the gospel, and you instill in them the, the values because if you don't, somebody else will. And then one day you're going to look up and go, I just don't understand why my, my kids aren't following the Lord. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff because you never taught them to. You never demonstrated a godly life to them. You never showed them the right way. But that's a side note. Let's get back to it. <laughs> Church, know that we can be persecuted, arrested, bound, or even killed, but the word of God cannot. Amen. Jesus has been growing his church for over 2,000 years, and it's not going to stop. This is a cause for encouragement. Amen. So continue on in verses 5 through 6. It says, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priest family. So after a night of prison, how many of you know, know the stories of, of, of Paul when he got in prison, and another time when Peter got imprisoned? One time Peter was broken out, Paul was, was broken out, but he decided to stay there anyway. And how many of you know, sometimes when, when, when the Christians get in prison, God breaks them out? Sometimes you spend the night in jail. After a night in prison, how many know that if, you, if God doesn't break you out, 
It doesn't mean that you're not doing the will of God. It's not an implication of your character, your failure, or your success. Sometimes God just needs us to stay there so we can do what we need to do. Amen. You see, if as we read the rest of the story, if, if God would have broke Peter and John out of prison, they wouldn't have been able to minister to the leaders like they're about to here in a moment. So after a night in prison, the next day, all the big names in the Jewish leadership, they show up to address Peter and John. And Luke here, as he's writing this, he's letting us know who is there because he wants to let us know that the most powerful men among the Jewish leaders have shown up to address Peter and John. Now, understand what this means. This means the most powerful men in the Jewish community show up to address a couple of fishermen. You know, if you ever think that you don't have power, you don't have, have, have what is necessary to make people stand up, these guys were just fishermen. That means that every single one of you is able to do the same thing because it doesn't matter where you came from. It matters if God is speaking through you. Amen. So let's take a look at all these people that show up. First, we have all the elders and the scribes. Rulers, elders, and scribes gathered. This is every ruler, elder, and scribe in Jerusalem shows up to deal with this situation. And then we get some specific names here as well. We get Annas. He's the high priest. Actually, Caiaphas is the current high priest. Um, Annas, uh, Annas, uh, uh, Caiaphas was Annas's son-in-law. And um, Annas was high priest from AD 6 to AD 15. Then the Romans showed up, and like I told you earlier, when the Romans showed up, they didn't want Annas to be high priest anymore, so they booted him, and, and they went and put Caiaphas in place. Caiaphas was in place from AD uh, 18 uh, to 36 AD. But it seems that Annas was still thought of pretty highly, because even Luke here refers to him still as the high priest. So he's thought highly of, and, and truthfully, the, the Jewish people, they believed that, that a high priest, the high priest position, when you were put into that, that was a lifetime appointment. So they still considered Annas a high priest. And then we don't really know anything of, of John and Alexander. So we got two high priests that show up, John and Alexander, who must have been important because they were named, but we don't have any record of them, so we don't really know who they are. <clears throat> um, and then it says the entire high priest family. So we got a lot of leaders and rulers and people of high position in the Jewish faith showing up. And you'll remember that these men, particularly Annas and Caiaphas, but really all the Jewish rulers and leaders that showed up, they played a large role in the farce trial of Jesus. They were, I mean, Annas and Caiaphas, they, they were mentioned in the trial, and we know the other Jewish leaders were there. So maybe that's why God didn't just break Peter and John out of prison. Maybe God had something to say to those people who had just put his son to death. And it seems that these simple fishermen were a huge threat to their way of life. You see, it was bad enough that Jesus had caused so much trouble. But now his followers, his disciples, were turning out to be just as persistent. So continue on, verses 7 through 10. It says, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, 
by what means this man has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So Peter and John are now in front of this large group of people. And even the, the formerly crippled man, the one that was healed, he's actually there with them. We'll see that here in verse 14 in a moment. It says that he was standing right beside them. And the first questions the Sadducees put to Peter and John is this. By what power or what name did you do this? Although he's already said it multiple times. And this is likely a reference to the exorcism practices of those days. They, they wanted to know what is this formula that you use to have this mighty miracle happen? You'll actually see a Jewish attempt of this so-called formula later on in the book of Acts. Acts 19, 13 through 17 is one of my favorite stories. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, he overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Turns out it's not some simple formula. It's not some simple magic words that you say to do these things. Now, when I read this story the first time, I, I was, uh, <clears throat> had a lady call up when we first started planning this church, and she was concerned by some demonic influence and stuff going on in her house, and, and uh, <clears throat> I was just going to go out there and deal with it. I was going to go out there in the authority of Jesus, but I was talking to my pastor, and I said, what if I go out there and it's like this? And he said, you don't have to worry about that. They know who you are. So I want to encourage you, church, if you are born again, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, they know who you are. You don't have to be concerned. The problem was they were trying to use some formula, but they didn't actually know Jesus. But when we do it, we step out on the authority and power that has been given us in his name. Amen. So the truth is, is that, that uh, even though they're trying to figure out what power and name it is, they're looking for this formula. The truth is they're primarily, primarily concerned by what Peter and John were teaching but they had to start with this miracle. They had to deal with this miracle. <laughs> you know, and like I said, they kind of had to because, one, it's a big deal. They all know about the miracle. And, and how many know that when a miracle happens, it gives credence to what the people are saying? So they had to deal with it. And the guy's standing there, like I said, so they can't just ignore him. And uh, so when this happened, it, it gave the disciples' words some oomph. Now, one of the things I've been praying for more and more recently is that we would see more signs and wonders here in the church, that we would see the Holy Spirit moving, uh, praying for each and every one of you guys to be more open and willing to let the Holy Spirit move through you. So when you hear him speaking to you, you don't just stay in your seat afraid, but you stand up and you share what he's given you. I want to see miracles happen. I want to see people getting healed. Because when we see that stuff, people are going to take notice, and it's going to give up an opportunity for us to minister the gospel. You know, and we'll start with the little stuff. We'll pray for colds and headaches, and we'll see those get healed. But how many know if somebody gets healed of, of cancer or diabetes or, 
or uh, Alzheimer's. I mean, if something like that happens, people are going to notice and we'll have an opportunity. And God is faithful and he's powerful enough to do that. We just have to be crazy enough to believe it. Amen. And the good news is it's not crazy to believe it at all. So I want to see God's power manifest here. I want to see all of us be more willing and not afraid and not ashamed and not worried about what people will think, but instead step out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let him move through us because we serve a supernatural God and we should see supernatural things. Except for us, there won't be supernatural. It'll just be natural because that's who God is. Amen. But as I was saying, the actions and words preached by Peter and John threatened their authority. So they're, more con- they're less concerned with the miracle, more concerned about what's being preached, their authority being undermined. Because most of these men were more concerned with position and power than they were with God being glorified. But Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit begins to make his defense, right? He says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to make his defense. And this is just like the Scripture said that would happen, right? Matthew ten nineteen. whenever they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. So we're seeing these things play out, and that'll be true for you and I as well. So Peter makes his defense, and he asks the familiar question. Rulers of the people and elders were being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled means. And by what means this man has been healed. And let it be known to all of you that it was by the name of Jesus Christ. The reason I say this is a familiar question is it's kind of like when Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. And Jesus had to ask this in Matthew twelve ten through 14. And a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? And of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. He was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So they're asking Are we on trial for doing a good deed? Jesus said, isn't it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? You know, it always amazes me how people value the life and well-being of another human being. You see, the, the Pharisees, they were upset that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And here we have the Sadducees upset that a crippled man had been healed because it demonstrated truths that were at odds with their beliefs. And today, just one example is that so many argue for the right to kill the unborn in the womb because they consider a woman's few months of not being pregnant more valuable than the life of another human being. It always amazes me as to how people value human life and sometimes how little value they place on it. But then Peter continues on and he gets pointed and he explains how this miracle happened. He said, listen, this power wasn't done in the power of my own name. It wasn't John. This was done in the power and the name of Jesus Christ, the one whom you arrested and delivered over to be crucified, the one whom God had raised 
from the dead. It's this man, Jesus, that's the reason that this man stands before you today. And then in verses 11 through 12, Peter goes on, he says, This is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So now Peter is quoting from Psalm 118.22, which is simply the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. However, he's interpreting it in a completely different way than the Jewish people interpreted it at the time. Most of the Jewish people regarded themselves, the Jewish nation, as the cornerstone chosen by God. But Jesus had interpreted it a little bit differently. In Matthew 21, 33 through 45, you remember Jesus tells the parable of an owner of a vineyard who had leased out his field. Right, And the owner sent several messengers to come and retrieve what was owed to him now that the fruit had been produced, and they were beaten and stoned by the current tenants. Then the owner sent his very own son to try to collect what was his, but then they went ahead and beat and killed the son. Now this was obviously a reference to himself. And then he asked the temple priests and elders what the owner should do if this happened. And they said that, this, that the tenants should be put to death for what they had done. And then they should let it out to other tenants who would be more faithful. And then he says this in Matthew 21, 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. He was referring to himself as the cornerstone. Remember, this parable was about the son who was killed, in which Jesus says this is the cornerstone. He's referring to himself and the Jewish priests and elders as the one who would be crushed and have the kingdom given to somebody else. So Peter uses Jesus' interpretation of the Scriptures. How many of that's a pretty good idea? If Jesus interpreted a Scripture, let's go with that one. Amen? And then Peter makes it clear. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone, right? There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Being a descendant of Abraham is not enough. Following the law of Moses is not enough because no one can keep it. Being a good person, the most common argument we hear today, like Pastor Joseph mentioned this morning, that somehow the scales are going to be weighed. They just have no idea how heavy that one sin was. Being a good person is not enough. Jesus is the only one, and he's the only way. Amen. We continue on in verses 13 through 14. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. This is how we know that man was standing beside them. <laughs> See, the religious leaders now, they're kind of taken aback. They're confused at, at what is going on. They saw how bold that Peter and John were proclaiming what they were proclaiming, but they could also tell that they were just uneducated common men. They were just fishermen. 
They had not received any formal theological training. They had not received any kind of training in speaking and teaching. Yet they stood before them bold and confident in what they were saying, what they were preaching. They were so confident that they were willing to stand up to the most powerful men in the Jewish community. They also recognized that they had been with Jesus, the one whom that they had crucified, to no lasting detriment to the Christian movement. I guess here it would probably still have been called the way. We know that Christianity was called the way before it was called Christianity. It was referred to as the way, and then they started calling everybody Christians as an insult, and we just took it as our name. <laughs> Amen. This astonished these powerful men that these uneducated, untrained men who had been with Jesus could make such a powerful, bold, and confident proclamation of the gospel. And then on top of all that, they got the man that was healed standing right beside them. And they had nothing to say. It says they had nothing to say in opposition. It's kind of hard to accuse them of lying about the healing when the guy that got healed is standing right there. Amen. So continue on in verses 15 through 17. It says, And when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conf- uh, <clears throat> conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Like I said, since they really couldn't say anything in opposition to Peter and John, you know, on account of the big giant miracle that just happened that was giving uh, 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 credence to their message, they had to come up with a different plan. We have to do something else. So they, they send Peter and John away in the crowd away. They confer amongst themselves and they say, what are we going to do? And as I said earlier, this great miracle's taken place. Thousands were witness to it. They couldn't just deny it. They understand that. You see that they're saying these things. But they're still so concerned with the status quo. They're still so concerned with what they have. They didn't want their authority, their positions, or their lifestyle to be threatened. So instead, they decided to warn them, warn them not to speak to anyone in the name of Jesus. Or actually, they said, in this name. They wouldn't even say the name of Jesus. Like maybe if they said it, it would give weight to it. You'll find out later in the book of Acts, the high priest does the same thing. In this name. They won't say the name of Jesus. Notice it didn't just tell them, it didn't just say that they decided to tell them, but it says they decided to warn them. Now it could be that they were hoping that their power and their positions and their influence would be enough to convince Peter and John not to say anything further. But this seems to me that, that uh, it indicates a threat is woven in there as well. And I think in a few moments we'll see that that actually is the case. Verses 18 through 20, it says, So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, or rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we had heard. So the religious leaders, they do just as they had planned. 
because Peter and John really hadn't broken any laws and because the people were behind them because of this great miracle that had occurred, all they could do is try to threaten and scare them. In addition, according to the Life Application New Testament commentary, it says Jewish law specified that at the first instance of wrong or illegal action, the guilty were to be warned and released. So now that they had officially done this, this put them in a better position that if it were to ever happen again, they would have grounds for greater punishment. However, I doubt they were prepared for the response. Instead of cowering in fear, begging for forgiveness or any of those things, Peter and John stood their ground because they were utterly convinced of the truth. And what an answer they gave. Should we listen to men or God? You see, Peter and John had already made up their mind on this answer. They were going to listen to God. But he says, now it's up to these religious leaders to judge which is the proper response. He says, listen, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or rather than to God, you must judge. Peter and John had made up their mind. Now these leaders had to. Now this should be an inspiration to each and every one of us, maybe even a template for how we should respond to these types of things. If somebody tells you not to speak the name of Jesus, not to share the gospel, that you aren't allowed to say these things, the proper response is, should I listen to men or should I listen to God? Amen? If we should ever find ourselves in a position where the government or law enforcement is telling us to be quiet, we should say the same thing. Amen? And we'll go ahead and fish here in verses 21 through 22. When they had further threatened them, yeah, here's where the threats come out. It's no longer a warning. We're threatening them. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. For all of you who are wondering why me and Pastor Joseph keep saying this guy's been, been lame for 40 years, this is where we got it from. It just takes a while to get to it, the very end of the story, before they tell us. All the religious people, all the religious leaders, all they could really do was threaten Peter and John. They couldn't stop the message. That already got out. 5,000 people plus had been saved. They couldn't punish them because of all these people that got saved would probably revolt. And all these people, at least 5,000 people, are praising God because of what just had happened. It really was a significant miracle. These kind of things didn't happen. And I would think that the religious leaders of the day would be excited that people were praising God. I mean, that's what I would think. I think that these guys would would just be ecstatic that people were praising God. The whole congregation is just, they're excited about God, what he's doing. But it doesn't seem that was the case. So church, as we read this story, I hope it's an encouragement to you. Stand up for the gospel. We've been given the command of the Great Commission that goes out to every single one of us in this room, not just the pastors, not just preachers, not just evangelists. The Great Commission is for all of us. And I, for one, don't want to be found listening to men rather than God. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.